we start this story out, and Samuel has died. Um, all Israel has assembled, and they're mourning for him. But there is one person who is gone and missing, and that is David. David does not attend the funeral of Samuel because he has um, he knows that Saul's men will be there, that they are there to arrest him and probably to kill him, and so he does not attend. And as soon as Samuel dies, David decides that he needs to relocate himself. And so he goes south about 100 miles further away from Saul. Um, there, there had to been this sense of security just in Samuel being alive that there was some protection for him uh, because Samuel was still there and still alive. And so when Samuel dies, David moves from uh, the stronghold around uh, uh, Masada, uh, there around the Dead Sea, and he moves south towards uh, Carmel um, in the desert of Maon. And uh, Carmel is way down south in Israel and very rugged and dry um, land. And so from there we get this riveting story um, about David, Nabal, and Abigail. And in this one chapter you have all kinds of intrigue, you have injustice, you have anger, you have conflict, you have revenge, you have attempted murder, you have wisdom, you have reason, you have sudden death, and you have unexpected romance. And all of this is in this one chapter there in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And so it starts off introducing us to this man, this man Nabal, who is from Maon. And um, first of all, it tells us that he was very wealthy. Now, if you were to translate that into common terminology today, it would simply say, and Nabal was loaded. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep. That was incredibly impressive in the day. The second thing it tells us is that it's shearing season and he is out working. So he's not just an uninvolved manager of his estate and all of that. He's employed, he's active, he's overseeing the work on his ranch and all of that. But then it tells us that his name is Nabal and it means fool. Now I don't know about you, but I'm glad my mother didn't look at me and name me fool. <laughs> now, <laughs> there are some names, you know, you wonder how they came about. Um, but Nabal's mom and dad, they chose to name him fool. That's what his name means in Hebrew. Um, and then it tells us something else about him. That he grew up and he was well married. He married above himself. And then it tells us something negative. The NIV says he was surly and mean. Um, I think the King James says churlish. Um, dishonest. Evil or some translations. In the way that he dealt with other people. And then it tells us something good about him. That he was a descendant of Cable. An heir of, of Caleb. 
And so here's this great man in Old Testament history, Joshua and Caleb, and Caleb has his estate that he fought for when he was 85 years old, and that gets handed down, and Nabal now owns that estate. So he's been fairly fortunate in life, in spite of his name and uh, his dealings with people. And then we're also introduced to his wife, Abigail. And Abigail means source of joy. That is what every girl wants her mom to look at her and say, and name her. (laughs) You don't want to be named fool. You want to be named source of joy or something like that. But it also tells us that she was intelligent and beautiful. So David is down around this ranch and he's taking his men, he's moved in there, he's living around this ranch at Maon, um, surrounded um, Nabal's ranch and it's sheep shearing, uh, shearing season. And that is a season much like um, the season uh, of silaging when I grew up. That was my favorite time of the year. I absolutely loved it and it made me mad every year that they started school before we could finish silage season because I had to go to school and so to be there at the farm for the best part of the year. Um, it was when all the neighbors got together, they came together, they worked together, they had lots of fun, they laughed at each other, but they worked long hours and we had great feasts. Um, Mom never cooked as good as she did during um, silage season. And so this was kind of like that. That was the that was the big time of the year in Israel. And it was a time of hard work, but it was also a time of celebration and festivity. And it was a time when you gave gifts. And so if you were someone like Nabal, it was just expected that you would give gifts to anyone that had been there and helped with your flocks, had protected them, had done anything to help you. That it was the season, that was the time in which you did that. And so David and his men had settled near them. They had been wonderful. David and his men had protected from marauders. Um, they had protected from wild animals. They had kept, you know, Nabal's flock safe, his herdsmen safe. They had just been there, and they had been doing that all as a good neighbor, introducing them to the king um, community and all of that. And, and they hadn't asked for anything. They had just been wonderful, good neighbors. And David finds himself in short supply for his men. And he's got 600 men to take care of. And it's shoeing season, and so he decides that this is the appropriate time, which it would have been, to send some of his men to ask Nabal if if he could if his men could share in some of the bounty. This man with all of his great resources, and so David sends two men in to ask um, if if he would just share something and 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 he reminded them of all that they had done, and he reminded them that they had his men had never stolen anything from him, and, and nothing had been missing while they were there. And Nabal's response represented very much his name. He first of all insulted David. Now David 
is going to be the next king of Israel, probably not the person you should choose to offend right off the bat. (laughs) But he insults, who is this David? And then he takes it up a notch. And who is the son of Jesse? And he's insulting the father. And that may be done in our culture, but it is not done in Israelite culture. You do not insult the father, and that was a major offense. And so he's just being absolutely stupid um, and ridiculous. And he refuses to feed David's men. He refuses to send them away with anything. He is selfish and arrogant. And if you look at this passage, it is all about himself. He's talking about I. He's talking about my bread, my water, the meat I have slaughtered for my shears. It's all about him. He's not thinking at all about what anyone else has done for him. So David's men, they go back to David and they report what Nabal said. And David gets instantly hot under the collar. He is instantly mad. And he right away says, I'm going to take 400 of my 600 men and I'm going to go wipe out Nabal and his little flock of people. (laughs) Now, I don't know if I'm the only person in the room who has ever gotten instantly mad over something that, you know, and just completely blew it out of the water. But I've been there. David really got instantly mad over something that he really didn't need to get this bent out of shape over. But he doesn't. He is planning revenge and he's planning a bloody massacre. And this is the man who is a man after God's own heart and a man who's going to be the king of Israel and a man who for 10 years or longer has been running from Saul and who has never lifted a finger against the man who's been trying to kill him for over a decade. When, he, when, when his men have encouraged him to get revenge, when his men have wanted him to kill Saul, he has said, no, we must not touch. Lay a finger on the Lord's anointed. He has been cool as a cool cucumber. But all of a sudden, Nabal comes and gives us one piece of bad news and he flies off the handle and he's instantly mad and he's going to cause a bloody massacre. <laughs> And sometimes we can be that irrational (laughs) instantly. Why? Because every one of us needs to remember that we are never, ever above sin. We never get to that place in life where you and I cannot be tempted. And David reminds us both with the story of Bathsheba, but also this story and many other episodes in his life. But the very man who is a man after God's own heart never gets to the place where we cannot be tempted and where we don't can't let our emotions run astray and, and take us to places where we don't want to go. But secondly, David here, he just he didn't pray about it. He didn't even think about it. He just emotionally reacted right away and he let his emotions lead him instantly. Now one of the other things here is in regard to Saul, 
who had chased him and who had tried to kill him for, you know, a dozen years or more. That was no surprise to him. He was just kind of used to living that way. He was just used to knowing that Saul was never going to treat him good. That Saul wanted to kill him, and he was just at peace with that. He was just going on. This is life. This is how it goes. But one little surprise by a man who's not important at all. And that surprise takes David off the path of God for his life. (laughs) Sometimes we overreact. Not to the big offenses that come in life, but to the small surprises that catch us. But one of the other things that I thought of this week as I looked at this text is, I think sometimes we take out our frustration over the unresolved things in life. On things, other things that are unrelated so often. David was frustrated with Saul and frustrated that for all these many years he's been hiding out in caves and wilderness and desert, moving from here to there and somewhere else because he's running from Saul. And he's frustrated with that, but where does he take out his frustration? He takes it on a little old man, Nabal, who's a fool and an idiot. And he takes it all out on him. Well, here's the fact. Anger in and of itself is just an emotion. It's not sin in itself. But it can lead us to sin. And anger does not justify revenge. It's just a feeling. And the fact is that you and I are often justified in the anger that we feel and also in the hurt we feel, the disappointments we feel, all of those kind of things, especially in light of of the way we have internalized things, especially in light of what we know about the situation. A lot of times we don't know it all, but we think we do. And uh, a lot of times in in just the way we've experienced it and, and what we've experienced and what we know justifies the way we feel about a situation. But it seldom justifies revenge. And that's one of the key lessons of this whole story. David instantly wants revenge and he is going to get it. So there's two things we need to remember and keep in balance. First of all, all it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do absolutely nothing. That's from Scripture from Paul. All it takes for evil to triumph is for good people to do absolutely nothing. But on the balance of that is sometimes even justice is not ours to pursue. There are cases where God wants you and I to step out and to step in and resolve and fight for justice. And there are some cases where that's not for us to do, it's for God to do. And this was a case where God needed to deal with Nabal, not David. And God needed to do it for David's sake. Because the way David was going to resolve it was going to hinder his effectiveness as king of Israel the rest of his life. 
Tim Irwin wrote a book called Derailed. And in that book, he talked about six different CEOs of companies who derailed their companies. Now, the interesting thing is those six CEOs did not derail by moral failure or financial crookedness or scandals or any of those kind of things. Every one of them derailed their company by little things. And one of the biggest factors in those derailments was the lack of feedback. Those CEOs shut themselves off from input and feedback from the people that were around them that could help them and help their organizations. But they shut themselves off. People didn't feel like they could talk to them. They didn't feel like they could step in. They, they could offer constructive criticism, that they could offer any insight. And those CEOs had just boxed themselves in till they were a fortress. And it resulted in disaster for those companies. Well, David, as king, was quickly headed for derailment in what he was doing here. And what you will notice is there wasn't anyone. He had 600 men, and not one of them gave him any feedback. Not one of them said, David, this is not smart. (laughs) David, this is foolish. David, this can hurt you later on in life. David, wake up. Not one single person offered David any feedback whatsoever. Why? I suspect it was because, well, David is the anointed king of Israel. David has this godly reputation. David has this wonderful characteristics. David... David hasn't pursued Saul and he's been so good to him. He's so wonderful and he's so up here. We can't confront, we can't talk to him, we can't tell him anything. And perhaps it wasn't from David's making, perhaps it was of their own making that they never gave David any feedback whatsoever. And so David, with 400 men, takes charging off for the desert of Maon to massacre Nabal and all of the household (laughs) because not one person will give him any feedback. Now sometimes you and I choose not to give feedback when we should because we have so much respect for the person who needs the feedback. Sometimes we choose not to give feedback because we are scared of the person and what they will do to us if we give them feedback. David was almost derailed by the lack of feedback, but Nabal was also derailed by the lack of feedback. Nabal made this decision that he wasn't going to take any of his resources and be a blessing to David. And you know what? Not one person said to Nabal, Nabal, this is not smart. (laughs) Nabal, this is foolish. Nobody would talk to him. And you know why? It tells us in the text, he is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Can people talk to you? (laughs) 
Every one of us needs to be able to have someone in our life who can come in and talk to us and share some blunt truth and have us at least listen to it. But Nabal's servants knew that it was there was no sense talking to Nabal at all. So instead, they went to Abigail. And they said, man, this is what's happened. David's men came. They requested some gifts from us, some provisions. And Nabal you know, just made fun of them, insulted them, refused to do anything for them. And um, you know, Abigail knew the cost of this. If David went, it would... I mean, they, the whole family... Everything would be demolished. And on top of that, if, if David did that to Nabal, Saul would hear it. Saul would be there right away and it wouldn't end up good for David either. So Nabal's servants tell Abigail what's going on and how good David's men had been um, to them and to Nabal. And they said, now, Abigail, why don't you come up with a plan? <laughs> this is not very culturally Appropriate in the day. A whole bunch of men running to one woman and say, you're the only person we know that's got enough wisdom to know how to solve this. <laughs> but that's what happened. These men, they run to Abigail and they said, come up with a plan, tell us what to do. And Abigail was not only intelligent, she was not only beautiful, She was also resourceful, and she came up with a plan. What do you do um, when you got 400 men who are hot, hungry, angry, and armed? (laughs) You feed them. (laughs) And she baked... And she cooked. And some of the things she brought maybe wouldn't whet our appetite a whole lot. Cakes of raisins and figs and five dressed sheep, 60 pounds of roasted grain, two skins of wine, 200 loaves of bread. And she gets all of that put together. And, you know, it's one thing when you cook a big meal. It's a whole nother thing when you cater it. And you have to haul everything you need to serve it and all of that kind of stuff. This woman did all of that. She loaded it on donkeys and catered it. Took off to David to meet him. <laughs> That's an amazing story. David is out there. He's charging ahead. He's getting closer and closer by the minute. And the whole time, he is not calming down one bit. He is feeding his anger. He's feeding his irritation. He's feeding his frustration. Instead of getting calmer as he gets closer, he's riveting it up. And he is saying to himself, you know, um, this guy deserves this massacre. I'm going to be the king of Israel and he has insulted me and he's insulted my father and I'm unappreciated. He doesn't appreciate anything I've done. It's all been for a waste and and he's rejected and he, he's, he, he did good and he's getting paid back uh, evil by Nabal and he goes on and he's just building up his frustration. And you know what David's whole problem is? 
All he could think about was Nabal. And he had completely lost sight of God. You see, when Saul was chasing him, he was aware of Saul, but Saul was never his focus. God was his focus. But in this one little incident that pops up in David's life, David loses complete sight of God, complete focus of God, and all he can see with red eyes is Nabal. (laughs) He sees nothing else. That is it. And so he's coming, he's getting more mad, he's charging ahead, and Abigail runs into him in the valley between the mountains, and she sees him, and she gets down off her donkey, and she kneels down on the ground, and then she bows her head down to the ground in front of him in absolute humility. (laughs) She is an amazing peacemaker. She expresses genuine humility. She gets down, bows before him, and in this passage alone, she calls David Lord 14 times. Just just the terminology she uses humbles herself um, beneath him. She begs him to listen to her. She begs him to pardon her. She begs him for forgiveness. She admits that Nabal, her husband, is an absolute fool, that he's also wicked. And sometimes blunt truth can be real disarming. (laughs) Ever had someone that's just really mad at you? And they come at you and they're ready with both barrels. And you say, yeah, I did that. And instantly the anger melts because truth sometimes can be disarming when we can admit what we've done wrong. She tells David she didn't see his men. She didn't know that they had come. She didn't know. And if she had known, she would have handled things different. So she argues that God has sent her to protect David and to keep him from committing this this foolish mistake. So she's telling David, you know, if I hadn't come, you would do something really foolish. And she suggests that David should let God deal with Nabal because God can do it better than he can. And she says, you know, revenge is really kind of foolish. And she takes David's attention off Nabal and puts it back on God. And and she gives, you know, credit to God for keeping David from already committing the massacre and for her getting there in time to stop it. And then she says, and look at all these donkeys loaded down with food. It's here for you. Stop and eat. And she's a host. Well, she goes on talking. The next thing she does is she reminds David of his identity and who he is. She says, you are going to be the king of Israel. You belong to God. He, God has used you. 
you have a secure future in God. She says, even though Saul pursues you, even though Nabal is a fool and an idiot, and even though Nabal insults you, God will have your back just like he had your back with Goliath. And then she says this. This is a key, key phrase. David can afford to forgive foolish and wicked Nabal because God is going to bless David in spite of Nabal. So the question is, are there people that you and I can afford to forgive because God is going to bless you in spite of them? Do you believe that? That's the wisdom of Abigail. And she asked David to remember her when she's king. Now, we don't exactly know what she's doing there. We don't know if she knew that God was going to slay Nabal. Um, we don't know if that was a veiled marriage proposal. We don't know what she's doing there. But she says, when you become king, just remember me. <laughs> One thing we do know is that Abigail took a big risk to go out and meet David and to try to save Nabal's servants and men. Anytime you and I take on a situation and try to keep it from going from bad to worse, it's going to cost us something in time, reputation, money, status, and favor. Peter Drucker said this, People who don't take risks generally make two really big mistakes every year. And then he said this. People who take risks generally make two big mistakes every year. So the fact is, what his point is, is it doesn't matter whether you're a risk taker or not. You're going to make two big mistakes a year. So you might as well take some risks. <laughs> Step out and do something. Um, David has completely calmed down at this point. This one woman who stepped in and stepped up brought David and de-escalated him all the way down. And David agrees and says, Abigail, you're right. He gives thanks to God who had saved him from making a huge mistake. And not often enough do we stop and do we thank the people who cared enough for us to talk to us when we really needed someone to step in and give us some feedback that everyone else was unwilling to give us, either because we're too good or too wicked or something or other, but for whatever reason, people can't give us feedback. And Abigail stepped in, and she stepped up, and she gave David feedback right at the right time, and David acknowledged that. He expressed appreciation. He received her provisions, and he dropped his pursuit of Nabal just like that. Now, according to Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses ni- verse 19, Nabal's destiny was destruction. His God was his stomach. His glory was his shame, and his mind was entirely on earthly things. But when Abigail gets home, 
she's going home and she's expecting to talk to Nabal to let him know what had transpired. And when she gets home, what does she find? She walks into a house that has been the scene of a huge banquet and a party that she was not there to organize. I'm guessing it was a total wreck. And I'm guessing all the mess was left for Abigail to clean up. Just my guess. Just my hunch. She walks in. Her husband, Nabal, the fool that he is, is thoroughly drunk. (laughs) And she decides, has the wisdom to know, tonight's not the time to talk to Nabal. So she waits until morning. And when morning comes, she talks to him and she gives him the news, tells him the whole story. And we don't exactly know what happened, but he he goes into some kind of a coma for 10 days, whether it was a stroke or a heart attack or whatever it was. But he goes into a, a coma after that. Alexander White, in a great commentary on biblical characters, he writes, Nabal would rather die than be saved by his wife. So he died. <laughs> I don't know if that was the case. Um, I don't know if he was just so angry at himself that he had allowed this to happen, um, that he was putting his whole ranch and everything in danger, um, or if he was just mad that Abigail had stepped in and saved the day again, and he hadn't been there. We don't know why. But anyway, he dies. And David rejoices at his death, thanks God that Abigail had spared him from making uh, the mistake of killing Nabal. And then he sends for Abigail and says, why don't you come be my wife? (laughs) And she does. And David gets a good, wise wife, and he gains all of Nabal's property and all of that. And um, so there's a couple things that I think we should know. You probably picked up some other things. But one, revenge doesn't pay. Secondly, God has our back. If you're a believer in Christ, God has your back. And people can do what they do to you. But you need to keep your eyes on Jesus because he has your back. And then what should we do? Secondly, we need to step in and we need to step up with some feedback from time to time. Sometimes we're scared to give feedback to people because they are too awesome. And we're intimidated by that. But even awesome people, you know, you can be really, really smart and holy and still be mistaken. (laughs) And other people are just too wicked and evil (laughs) to receive it. And so, but there are times when you and I need to step in and step up and give feedback. And there are times when you and I need to make sure that we can receive feedback from other people. And when we give that feedback, we need to mix grace with courage. Because there were a lot of other people that could have met David that day that the outcome would not have been the same. But Abigail mixed grace with courage and she got down off her donkey and she mixed that 